Hello guys, welcome back to Ragnarsson Invest Podcast. Our today's guest is Jamie Dujardin from Altruistic. Uh, Jamie, welcome. It's really uh, great to have you here. Hey, Matthew. Uh, hey, Katia. Lovely to see you. Um, so let's start maybe with the basics. Uh, you work with sustainability data. What does that actually mean? What, uh, what's, uh, what does the Altruistic do? Great question. Uh, so Altruistic um, measures the environmental impact of enterprises. Uh, there's a lot of businesses that do that, so I guess in, in a bit more detail. Specifically, we measure um, holistic environmental impact, so not just emissions, but also things like waste created and water used and so on. Uh, and we try and do it in a really granular way um, with, the, with the vision of being able to um, enable businesses to make decisions that consider their environmental impact. So we're really trying to help businesses make change. Uh, currently, we work with a number of enterprises across the UK, US, EU, um, numbers of billion dollar plus enterprises and uh, really really enjoying the journey so yeah uh, that's a little quick intro to altruistic uh, i think it was quick but uh, full of essence um, generally we can talk about sustainability and measuring the data and impact for hours but i think uh, it would, would be really interesting to dig a little bit deeper is your product experience uh, and i will let, let Mati <laughs> take over the question his uh, that's his like uh, topic he, he loves to talk about um, Jamie, before the recording, we had a very interesting uh, discussion about um, software development are at Altruistic and how to how you approach uh, developing new features. And what makes it especially interesting to us is to learn a bit more uh, about your um, ways of de dealing with long feedback loops, um, and especially in B two B software when you work closely with a small amount of. Uh, clients at the very beginning of 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 the lifetime of the life cycle of of the startup, uh, it can be very challenging to decide which features go to the core uh, part of the the product and which should be just think thought as some sort of side projects for for one of the big uh, clients. So I would be very curious to know how do you deal with those dilemma? How do you approach this topic? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, and I think actually. Um, like I, th I think having experienced it over the last couple of years, we, have, we haven't done everything right to start with, but um, it's really actually different when you focus even on enterprises compared to like small businesses compared to selling to, to people. Um, as, a, as a sort of enterprise focused software company, you, you start that journey and for a very long time, you have a very small number of customers. Like fu fundamentally, contract values are, are quite high. Also, pricing is a very interesting question in, in enterprise product development. Um, but, but because you're working with such a small number of customers, but you're trying to build something that scales, you have to think about new ways to develop the product. Um, I, I, I think there's a lot of good literature around like A-B testing and that scale testing. But when you've got like four or five companies that you're working with, how do you know what is something that they all care about? How do you know that only or if only one of them cares about how does it differ across them and so on and so yeah we've been on a, a real journey to get better at that i have a there's a um probably our one of our most hated stories is there was a feature we developed um early last year which uh was sort of a reporting feature um for one of our customers and we really felt like this was going to be the feature that like really was like a key scaling mechanism and we spent most of three months on on developing this very large very complicated uh, had a lot of like technical methodology behind it feature and launched it and that feature has gone down amazingly with that customer 
but within three months we've realized of launching it we realized like it doesn't apply in any way to any other customer in the way we built it um and and that, that was a very painful journey um and i think what we've what we took from that actually is it, what the first time we tackle any problem we don't build it as software that's like quite an interesting like use case or or if we do build it as software we might build a front end but everything behind that is all very very um wizard of oz i guess is the term people use uh, and the reason for that is one I, th I think enterprises have a much lower threshold for what good software is anyway so you can sort of get away with it but also but also um it means you can build it build a lot of the complexity and then test that complexity with a bunch of other customers and go does this work for them and iterate very very quickly before you commit to building it in a scalable way at all um so there's one example where um we were we were building what's called a, a life cycle assessment tool um which is essentially measuring emissions over over a, a product's life cycle and we built this like t for two different customers essentially it's like an excel tool with a front end in front of it um have learned a ton from that experience and we're now building like a a beta of it with uh, some customers uh, that generalizes across all those customers and then we already think we know how to like scale it beyond that um, so I think I think that's one thing the other sorry I'm, I'm rambling a bit here but the other thing that's really Maybe just important, one uh, follow-up question to the, to the yeah. reporting feature so you decided eventually to do it um, the next time manually or if, if there was a feature similar to that or some sort of simplified version of the feature or how do you approach it great question so yeah how we took that forward I guess is um, for for the next two customers after that who wanted something quite similar but not the same, we basically uh, said we were in beta for this feature and manually built these reports for like three or four uh, use cases that they had rather than for all, um, for context, this reporting feature enables them to like report to their customers. So, um, uh, so we'd build it for three or four customers of theirs, test it with them, get their feedback and now we're building like the scalable version. Um, and I think I think that's how we're tackling nearly all software problems at this point is 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 doing it semi manually as a one off as a very like transparent experiment with them and then going right let's we'll we'll work out how to scale it from here um, and and I think the, the the other thing here is that um, we really we're very transparent about this and we're very transparent that this is like something that we're you know we're launching a beta of and we go like this is not automated we're very open and go like this is happening manually. Don't worry, we're just making sure we work out how to build it in the best way possible. And most of them have oh, actually we've never had major pushback on that before. Um, as long as we, you know, the quality of what we do in the manual tests is very good, like we've never had pushback. So I think I think transparency and the and the openness to to doing something in a service led way in a software company that's focused on enterprises is actually really important. I love this twist, like the best learning from this ex uh, example is that uh, the best way to build a software is not to build it at all. <laughs> yeah. Not to build it at first, maybe, yeah, is, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, the, is the important question. Or postpone yeah. the building, yeah, exactly. So yeah. It's, to me, it's pretty clear that it helps you to really uh, filter out uh, the, the, the most promising candidates for the next big rollout. So whatever uh, feature you identify as something that can be fully automated goes through firstly through this semi-manual process and then you, with more confidence, you can tell, okay, it's going to be useful to m many more clients as opposed to just this one or two that we initially built it with. And would you would you also say that it's, it's helping you with, with the development speed and with, with the learning process of what, what features resonate with users 
or yeah yeah a hundred percent so um we use this as a way to test features as a starting point and 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 actually um we can find anonymized ways to show other customers the version of what we did for one customer and go like hey does this resonate with you guys as well so it's a, it's a great testing testing tool in that sense it's also a great way for your mvp to just not have some really stupid things in it like we do it once <laughs> with them and we get a bunch of feedback and then we launch a true like scalable mvp with one iteration of like enterprise feedback built into it. I think that's really helping make sure that when we do launch that software that you know we can be proud of it for quite a long time um, and, and, and take our time on making sure that it gets better and better and better. Um, so yeah, it's it's been a great tool in that sense. I think there's one thing to say, which is you as an organization, you have to be very set up to do it. And what I mean by that is that some of the people who are thinking about doing it as a service to start with have to have in the back of their minds hey, we need to work out how we productize this. Because if you just do it as a service without that, you might not capture the learnings that you need to to think about a scalable way of doing this. Um, but I think that's something we've, we've really built like as a, as a capability is like productizing from initially a service. That was going to be a bit of my next uh, question. So uh, having this experience on, on doing things manually in the first place and at, at the very beginning, do you already experience um, challenges over productizing certain features that maybe for a longer than expected time were done manually and kind of now it's the time to really have a full-fledged solution and you kind of need to catch up on on the functionality and, and business value that you technically already have yeah it's a it's a great question <laughs> it's, and and <laughs> and i think this is where transparency really comes in right because if you're not transparent about the state in which that feature is right now what you start selling is a vision of a scalable version of that feature that doesn't yet exist, and then everyone's stressed and, and so on. So, I think I think that's where we where the like real uh, transparency around like status of this sort of thing is, and and we actually have a, a roadmap that all of our customers can see, and they can see that it's in like what we would call a beta, and a beta is something that doesn't scale yet, um, but and, and and something that we will make scalable. I think there's even a step before that, which is much into your question of, of like um of can this scale like before like like testing it in any way just going like do we think that this could be scalable um and that's a that's a whole nother yeah a whole nother question of like if if we don't think it could ever be scaled we we never really will think about it as a, something we do as a software company when when you say scaled you mean on one hand, is it kind of technically feasible? On the other hand, if this is this is going to be broadly accepted by the rest of the market, exactly. Like, does it, does a standardized feature set apply to a wide number of companies? Because if it doesn't, if if you need a huge amount of configuration to just get this thing to apply to every company we work with across industries, like, then should we really focus on it, or should we focus on the more you know standardized elements we can tackle? I think that's a really hard line to draw as to make sure that we don't fall into the trap of just building any services, right? We we have to always believe that everything we we trial can, could be, you know, scaled into a, a both a scalable solution from a yeah a software perspective, but also from a like applicability perspective to, to different customers. You mentioned uh, transparency as, as key and um I, I understand it as a way to manage expectations of your clients, what's today possible and how quickly we can scale certain certain features. It uh, reminds me of many conversations that we had with, with, with different founders that we that we are in touch with. 
and sometimes I, I need to say they're really masters of not revealing what what's actually <laughs> what was actually built, <laughs> which is still in the kind of ideation process and phase, and um, what is maybe under development uh, as of now. So um, it's it's interesting how you how you perceive those those things and. Um, Maybe a question here about the transparency, especially if you speak with more speak with more established brands, and you mentioned it at some point that they're not so much afraid if you say, "Well, it's kind of beta." You need to take into account that it's not like a full fledged feature. Uh, did you also have situations when they said, "Oh, it sounds a bit scary. Maybe you are too small of a startup for us. Uh, what if you don't deliver, and then we disappoint our own clients?" Did you have such conversations or at least doubts from, from your target group? Yeah, that's a great, absolutely great question. And I think that's a little bit of um, where you are as a business. Um, so I think I think when we were really starting out um, two years ago or so, and, and, and us going in there and saying, you know, we, we will do this, but it doesn't exist yet, just wouldn't have flown at all because there wasn't like a core part of the application that was live was working was like fulfilling their their needs a lot of the features we're building now is going beyond the like the basic requirements of like can i measure my impact it's now like how can i cut this data in certain ways how can i share this data in certain ways that that sort of thing um and i think at that time if we tried this tact of like uber transparency with customers and potential customers it probably wouldn't have gone across as well but when when you when you work with companies or are you know uh, proposing to companies where they can see the live application, they can see what already exists, and then on top of that, we're very transparent about you know what's currently in development or you know what's where the roadmap's going. I think it's a much easier journey uh, at this point. So yeah, it's a, I I don't I don't think this would have worked at the start, which is quite an interesting point. Is like where, at what point can you switch over? Um, yeah, they, I, I don't know how much trust we would have got from from anyone if we had nothing live at all, and we were like, it's all a all a beta. Uh, but but in in that we've definitely hit a point now where where it feels both more honest and more more um, a, a better outcome to, to to go down the route of like mass transparency with with customers. So so it seems like the way you work right now with clients is more like on a collaboration. Uh, way than just developing something, going for a feedback, and then implementing. But it, by allowing them to see whole process and whole the roadmap, you allow them to give some insight on maybe not this direction but the other. So I'm wondering what's the like the the proportion of you developing what they expect you to develop and still put or on the versus is pushing your own uh, idea of how the product should look like. Yeah, it's a really great question. I think I think. Firstly, yes, that is sort of where we're going. And and I think also this sort of building in the open concept has been done a lot with, with consumers, right? They're, at least in the UK, very famously, Monzo, the bank, sort of basically built with a totally transparent roadmap for a very long time. A lot There are a lot of big startups in the UK now that build with transparent roadmaps. And all we're doing is taking that to an enterprise level and making sure that they that, you know enterprises can feed into feed into feature development a lot it is it is a great point around what um what does one customer want today versus um uh versus what do a lot of customers want soon versus like where do we think the market is going and should be going and how do we balance that i think that's just it's the sort of thing where there's probably no one applicable rule you have to balance it i think um we do sometimes use 
uh, like essentially like financial uh, metrics to work that out. Right? If a customer is willing to come along and go, hey, yeah, we'll, we'll you know, uh, we we're really keen to use altruistic, and we want this specific feature, and they are willing to help pay for the development of that feature. It's a very good way of proving that like that might need to be developed. Um, but but otherwise, it's constantly a, a balancing act of like what comes first, what comes next, and, and so on. Um, and and again, I think transparency and open openness with customers in, in this stage is, is is like very important. I think what will be interesting for for us is if as we go through you know our, I guess our next stage, where right now we as an enterprise uh, SaaS solution, we have a enough customers where we can still from the product side speak to most of them most of the time like it's not that hard to get in touch with most of them once we get sort of too far down that loop like will certain customers feel unheard because we know we're not speaking to them as much and i think that will be a a balancing act we're going to need to to tackle at some point but yeah it's going to be good and sorry and just on one one like example of like transparency we have we're like relatively well known for putting Figma prototypes in front of potential customers and just going like, this is what the next thing on the roadmap is. Like you can feed in now. You don't need to be working with us. And that's because as well, we want as just as much feedback as possible. And uh, if we can get that from potential customers, from current customers, even from random research outreach, like that, that's great. So yeah, I think best way best way to learn quickly um, when when you don't get the sort of numeric feedback that you would from a customer or a consumer facing product. I can imagine that they might be sometimes surprised by your openness and transparency to the point of showing them, hey, that's where we're going to go. Probably we're not on the way for you. Uh, I would like to see some of the faces in the room when you're <laughs> talking that way. Uh, but since we were talking about transparency, I would like to take the conversation a little bit uh, into other direction if we are done on the product. Not that I'm not passionate about the product development, but <laughs> there's another topic I would really, really love to um, get your insight, Jamie. and that's. Um, Another challenge that you face as altruistic as a company that is growing uh, not only in a product but also in a team. So uh, it's one thing to work with a team that is small, motivated from the beginning with you, knows uh, everything and everyone inside out. But it's another thing when you have to work with dozens of people that join somewhere along the way and they are not necessarily motivated but the same thing as the core team. So growing the team, how to sustain the company culture that is very important to, to the way you work. Transparency being just one of the examples, but uh, the, the culture you have uh, has other interesting elements uh, in. So how do you work with that? It's a great question. And I guess for, for context for, for listeners, Altris um, is kind of the stage where, you know, uh, when I joined, there were four or five of us, there's now 50 plus. We're probably continuing to go grow. And so, um, uh, yeah, we're, we're very much on this journey of how do we maintain the culture that existed when there was a team of 10 uh, and, and make sure that we can we can scale with that culture. And, and, and you know, the benefits of being that small, the, the benefits of autonomous decision-making, the benefits of speed and so on. Um, I think, uh, as I've, firstly, uh, the other thing I must do is very quickly shout out that uh, a lot of our team stuff is very much not just me, a me thing. I think we have the most amazing team of people who really care about culture. That's the first thing. Um, and, you know, uh, our head of product engineering was the person who came up with our 
proposals board, which is a way for anyone to input into culture culture decisions. Um, we we had a head of operations who really cared about people and culture as one of the first five hires. Like I think I think getting the right people in early really changes this this problem. But w- w- whether or not you have the right people thinking about the problem, I think I think what I learned a lot from from working in a couple of com- well or everywhere I've worked says they have culture and says they have values and and and, and cares about these things. Um, only some of the places I've worked do you actually ever see them applied or recognised or actually lived in some ways. And I think the huge um, difference there is going beyond talking about the problem and working out how you build the problem into your like company's processes and ways of doing things. Um, so e- examples there, as I sort of mentioned just, just then, we have a proposals board and every Wednesday... Um, in at 9:30 the whole company can join this proposal session which is essentially anyone can propose anything uh, in terms of how we might change how we work or how how our culture is run um and and the purpose of that proposal uh, the question asked is 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 not like let's debate this and see whether or not it should go ahead it is just like do we think that this proposal harms the company and if not then yeah we should we should do it because it's a better state than than we are now and so we really like building in things like that really aligns to our values of transparency radical transparency um i think the other thing we we do is we we have one of our our data scientists built a kudos like slack bot um which allows you to give kudos but you have to give kudos um aligned to one of our values so you have to go like this is a uh, kudos to person X because they're a humane high performer, which is one of our values. And building stuff like that into our day-to-day processes, the investment into that pays off dividends in terms of like in- embedding the culture we have. Um, yeah, so I-, I-, I think taking culture beyond just the words and really building it into what you do is 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 the key thing to making sure that it sticks around as you as you grow. Um, yeah. And what was the the size of the company when you saw that um, the culture in itself poses a problem and should be cultivated in a specific way? Because I can imagine, like when when we when you were five people or seven, there was obviously some culture. You had values, but it probably just worked. And then the company grew. And do you see any kind of point until? up until it, it works without much effort and then you need to concentrate on it or? That, that's a great question. I, th- I think just like reminiscing on it, I think the first time where we went like, we should like purposefully invest time in this was probably somewhere between like 20 and 30 people. I think up to that point, a lot of it could be done ad hoc by um, the hiring individual who was hiring a team member making sure that they understood the culture when they joined and really got you know a lot of meetings still had a lot of the company on and therefore the culture was really um apparent because you know those who had been there early were always in those meetings but when you get to the point where there are you know i don't know meetings happening or or events happening that don't have anyone from that sort of early cohort then like how how does the culture naturally develop it needs to be more more like yeah thought through so i think i think 20 to 30 people was that i think the other thing i'd say is from from my perspective at least defining and and really caring about your culture early is a great way to get great people 
and like so it's not just an investment because you want a nice day at work it's an investment because it it's a very attractive prospect to employees to have go to a company that really thinks about culture and cares about culture it's a great way to make sure that we all work in the same way and we're all open to feedback and open to de- like personal development and so on and so i I think it's one of those things that is very hard to put a very well. I'm sure there's actually a lot of research on putting a, a like return on investment number into it, um, but 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 really caring about it this early is is um, like does pay off. And in from what I've experienced, I think I think it's really paid off altruistic. Because I'm curious about the uh, the way you get people on board. Um, I can imagine for some people hearing this about uh, your values, the way the culture works uh, might be very uh, interesting during the recruitment process. And that's the reason why they they want to be a part of a team. But do you check it in any way during the recruitment process? Like, you know, you have 100 applicants for one position. How do you choose one that really fits the, the values? Or you don't do that at all, assuming like it's good to have this diversity of people and we can get him on board on, on the way? Great, great question. Um, we work with a recruitment agency that uh, once laughed at me because of how many interviews we had as a startup. And they were like, your interview process is so ridiculously detailed. And I was like, but it's needed. No, so f- like right from the start, we've had a culture fit interview. Um, that culture fit interview is not, does someone conform to a certain type of person or like a, a you know, that it's more is that person open to the sort of values we care about? And those values are things like transparency and openness to give feedback. They're things about like caring about your health and well-being as well as uh, as well as your you know your performance at work. Um, they um, I don't think they're they they're things that um, or they're, they're things that I think are universally applicable. And and as long as someone is open to that sort of culture and keen to have that sort of culture, then then they sort of pass our culture for interview but it is something we've had right from the start and we've always cared about it um i think yeah i, I think it's um it's also a great way just to the other thing with a, an early stage company is is like a lot of your processes are developing and so having more people in the process um does just mean you get better opinions about whether someone joining is a good fit and uh, for a lot of our culture fit interviews we'll ask someone uh, say they're an engineer we'll ask someone from like marketing to do the interview just to make sure that like we're getting a variety of fit in as well and so no that is something we've always cared about um but but not so much uh to to ensure the same type of person but more to ensure that they would be open to the way we work which i think is is the key thing I must say it. Uh, your insights really align with uh, with our own, um, especially when when it comes to like recruiting people. Uh, in our case, like eighty ninety percent of the candidates, they they are surprised that we have a culture fit, uh, um, like recruitment stage of of the of the recruitment process, and it makes the process obviously longer and more difficult for the candidates. But as you said, we think it's needed. <laughs> And it's sometimes it's difficult even to to fight with our competitors. I mean, fight in a sense of they have a uh, um, their process is shorter. It's easier. It's more straightforward. In our case, it's more of a a battle a bit to to some extent. Uh, but obviously, we like to think that it's for the best and that it pays off in the long run. And those candidates who really appreciate how the company is organized and how it pays attention to to those details as you mentioned 
uh, are on average a, a better fit for us for in the long run, and everyone feels better in in such environments. So, um, it's it's interesting how you also uh, how you also see it uh, in a similar way. Yeah, I mean, a hundred percent. I there is nothing more disruptive than a wrong hire from from experience. So, like, even if you miss out on candidates, even if your process is slower and you hire, you know, you feel like you need this person today, but you hire them in a month because of the process. Like the 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 benefit compared to having five percent more wrong hires is, in my eyes, so worth it that um, that you have to go with it. I also think you, you, um, the example of you guys having a culture fit interview is is like a perfect example in in my eyes of why you need a culture fit interview. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you have essentially a choose your own pay system. Like some people might not be open to to working in a place like that, and and I think that that is not therefore like a selection based on whether they uh, are a certain type of person. But it's just like, would you you know like to work in a place like this? Do you think you'll be a good fit for a place like this? And and a lot of our culture fit interviews being very transparent about like what what how we work and how like what what sort of stuff we do at work and how we make decisions and all of that stuff and go like does that excite you or actually does that scare you and you'd love to be in a slightly more structured place with a slightly more hierarchical team and so on and like just be open about it because because i think fit in that sense is is really important as well yeah i think it could be seen as a yet another filter for this in this difficult battle for talent and the more uh, filters and expectations we have, the, the the more difficult it is to find the right people. But at the same time, I think it helps you to define yourself and really just stand out from the crowd. And you say, okay, I'm different in this and that way because we value those things. And in itself, uh, I think it, it just helps uh, nevertheless in the, in the recruitment process and uh, it makes it uh, easier and healthier for the company. Yeah, but let's not forget about the perspective of the employee himself, uh, herself, because it the process also gives them opportunity to actually learn more about the company, about the people this person might be working with and make more conscious decision, uh, less made on bets and more like, you know, based on knowledge and some feeling that, that they have from the process uh, itself. So if person can look at the process like that, it might mean that, they are on the right person, that they, they are right, right person, right fit for the company. So I always say it uh, to any person I'm interviewing the cultural fit uh, stage that, hey, this conversation is also for you. Ask whatever you want, get the feeling, compare the notes from other people. You need to be sure that you want to work with us. It's not only about us making sure about you you uh, as a fit. Yeah, I totally agree with that. We've always had um, a just like, 25% of the length of the interview at the end is their questions to us and we're very open about it being like just anything you want please prepare like make sure you get all of your nerves and all of your questions out of the way I also think that makes um, someone when they join so much quicker to get up to speed because they've just asked a lot of the, the questions that they were nervous about asking way before um, so yeah definitely agree with that Jamie thank you so much for uh, sharing your insights uh, we talked in this conversation mostly about um, delivering new features by the way of not building it <laughs> with code <laughs> maybe doing things manually instead and also about uh, scaling and especially from the perspective of maintaining company culture and attracting people thank you so much Jamie for the conversation all the insights and if there is anything else that you would like to share with our audience at the end just the stage is yours 
<laughs> Thank you so much for having me, guys. Um, and for, for anyone who's listening uh, and, and cares a lot about sustainability, Altruistic does have its own podcast, so I will plug that quickly, which is the This Is Altruistic podcast. Um, we talk to a lot of sort of deep sustainability professionals on, on, on topics such as like the impact of soil, carbon and, and so on. So if you want to go into any of those depths, um, do come and listen to This Is Altruistic yeah. as well. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Jamie. And obviously the link to your show is going to be in our show notes. Thank you so much for the conversation. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. If you want to stay up to date with Impact Startup Scene and hear directly from startup founders and investors, sign up for Ragnarsson Invest newsletter at ragnarsson.com ri or click the link in the description. Thank you.